ministry coordinator here. Uh, actually, this month marks one year that I've been here, uh, which is really exciting. And uh, so this morning, I want to actually take you on a bit of a, a my faith journey. I'm going to share with you uh, something that God did in my life uh, that really shapes who I am today and how I do ministry today. Uh, it's actually what got me into ministry in the first place. Um, and so I, I get to share that with you today. We're going to be in the book of James chapter 1. If you don't have a book or have a Bible, uh, Jason would love to hand one out to you. So if you could raise your hand, he can provide you with a Bible. If you do not have a Bible to call your own, please make that one your own. Please take it home with you. That is our gift to you. Um, so James chapter 1, on the, the Bible we handed out, it's on page 699. And this, uh, the title of this, this sermon is uh, Faith for the New Year. We're going to be looking at uh, a posture of engaging in our faith with Christ for this new year uh, and hopefully learning from, from our history in the past. And uh, so we're going to be looking at that a little bit more in depth. So James, uh, he is writing to a, uh, a group of Jews that are um, outside of Jerusalem. In the first verse, it says the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. And so James is actually writing to a group of, of Jewish believers outside of Jerusalem that, that he's trying to, to um, shepherd. When we look at the book of James, it's, it's really clear that uh, he's really concerned with the, the faithfulness of believers under his guidance. And oftentimes, our sense of feeling intimate with God is determined by our emotional status, status and wellness in life. So if we are suffering, it is hard to sometimes see through the grime of it and still see God's never-changing good character. James' effort in his letter is to encourage and motivate uh, followers to remain steadfast to God despite suffering and hardship because he is faithful to us. And so as I said, uh, this passage uh, is really important to me because this is actually the one that God used to keep my heart I was really struggling with faith at a time of life, and God used James, chapter 1, to show me his faithfulness and allowed me to be steadfast. So I want to talk, pull out two points for you guys this morning. If, if, I want, like if you walk away with anything from this morning, this is what I want you to walk away with. Because God is faithful, be steadfast. Because God is faithful, be steadfast. So we're going to unpack that. So because God is faithful, James gets into that. So I'm going to read the, um, the scripture for this morning. We're going to go from verses 2 through 8, then jump to 12 through 18. So James reads, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. And verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James jumps from a whole uh, slew of, of categories here. He, he looks at uh, enduring under uh, uh, trials. He goes to unwavering faith, and he hits poverty and wealth. As we delve into this, one thing will become evident and clear. God will redeem our suffering into character-building, redemptive stories. Let me say that again. God will redeem our sufferings into character-building, redemptive story. So he takes what we are dealing with in life, and he gives a purpose to them. He takes all the, the hardship and trials, and he says, this is what's good out of it. This is what you can learn from it. This is the knowledge and wisdom I can give you from this, as well as a closer relationship with him. That's what it comes from. So often, though, in the midst of struggle and hardship, we can't see God at work. We become blind by the situation in front of us. Sometimes it's so big and so captivating of our lives that we can't see God working. We're blind to it. Or oftentimes it it, it dictates how we feel. And if something's hard in life, you don't feel close to God. So it can be blinding, it can be crippling. When we look at hardships closely, we can identify the core issues at hand a lot more easily. The thing is, with with trials in life, it tends to surface things that uh, we have found a foundation or taken root in, other than God. So often, though, we when the trials and, and struggles are caused when something is stripped away from us, we don't have that security or comfort. Um, or, or a sense of, of normality. And that's when we start to realize that, you know, maybe, maybe we've put a foundation or a trust or in a, a hope in something other than God that ultimately failed. So as we b- dig into James chapter 1, he begins his letter with a command. Count it all joy. It's really hard to rejoice in times of trial. In, the, in this chapter, James uh, hits on uh, two meanings of the word trial. Doug, Douglas Moo unpacks this for us. He says it can refer to the inner enticement of sin, which we read about, that kind of ensnares us. But it, at other times, it denotes an external affliction, particularly persecution. We see both all over the world, of people struggling inwardly with all the, the hardships going on. But we also see the external affliction all around the world, the persecution of, of fellow brothers and sisters all over. And so both are present. Both are like, okay, it's like, 
I have no reason to rejoice in this and find joy. But here we're commanded to, to find joy or a, a purpose of rejoicing within these trials of life. So there is a greater purpose that James is talking about. There is a greater purpose. So why? What do we gain from, from engaging with these, these trials? This ties into God's faithfulness. So what do we gain from it? And then what does God gain out of this? Now God's greatest desire for us, according to James, is that we not lack in anything. Verse 4, it reads, let, uh, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is worried about our character. He's worried about shaping us to make us holy and pleasing, one after his own heart, to be close to him, to be intimate with him. So does your life exemplify your relationship with Christ? What in life grows and exemplifies him in you to build that character? So God is faithful, James is saying. He gives the promise of redemption to make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And in verse 3 it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It is out of the testing that there's steadfastness. It is a product of it. So as God is faithful and James commands us to rejoice in our trials of various kinds, how is this done? We all kind of chuckled when we were joking around about how it, when you face trials of various kinds, it's really hard to rejoice in them. In John 15, 11, it talks about how this is done. It says, it's done by abiding in Christ as he abides in his Father. And so we are, abide to, we are to abide in him. John 15, 11 says, as we abide in him, these things I, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Here is, we're actually seeing that joy is a divine attribute from God. It is something that is given from God to us. It is something for us to, to take in our relationship with God as we engage with him, as we, we have this faith and hope in him that he is faithful to us and says, look, I'm, I'm going to give you what you need to rejoice in these, these times of trials and, and, and hardship. So how did this take place in my life? So I, I, I said that this passage is, is what God used to keep my faith. So what's, what caused me to to have my issues of faith. Uh, growing up, um, I was 11 years old, and uh, it was the Saturday before Easter, and my dad, and my brother, and I were getting ready to go fishing. We, my dad, and my brother, and I love going fishing. It's one of our favorite pastimes together. So we, we're up at the crack of dawn, getting ready. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to catch the biggest fish. It's going to be great. I'm going to rub it into everybody's face. And I'm getting my shoes on. Then all of a sudden, my sister, she, she was always up early as well. Uh, she's the oldest sibling. She turns with a cup of water to say good morning to me. And then she froze. Her eyes rolled back in her head. She started making a weird uh, sound. And her body went rigid. And she fell over. Now, as an 11-year-old, I didn't know what I was seeing. It freaked me out. 
Here, my oldest sister, the, the oldest sibling, who resembles like stability and strength and, and kind of like that guidance. Here she is. She's, something's wrong. And out of my fear came this, this blood-curdling scream because I, I, I had no idea what I was seeing. My dad came running in from the other room and caught her before her head hit the floor. She started having a seizure. I had never seen one before. I mean, all I knew is that something happened to my sister, and from, from my child uh, knowledge, I thought she had died. But this started a journey for me of really wrestling with my faith, really wrestling and questioning God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love. Because after all, like, if, if God is so strong, so powerful, that he died and rose again for us, why is he allowing such a thing to happen? Why is he allowing my family to suffer like this? Because you see, it, it took 12 years before my, my parents finally got the, the appropriate diagnosis for my sister. 12 years. And along that road, is one thing after another that my, my parents were just trying to figure out what was going on, trying to get the right diagnosis, the right answers, so that they can get my sister the appropriate help. So you can imagine, I mean, from 11 years old onward, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, watching my sister suffer like this. So seven years passes by. Things kept on escalating. Um, it's my junior year of high school, and I'm at, like, the breaking point. Um, internally, I was... I was pushing God away. I felt like I hated him. I wanted nothing to do with him. It was hard to have this, what was supposed to be the most stable and, and meaningful relationship of my life between me and God is what caused me the most pain and struggle at that point. And as I look back, for some reason, I look back over the, the years, and I started asking questions. All right, Lord, what is going on? And I started to engage again. And, and something became really clear as I looked at the timeline of, of stuff in my family. And there's one thing that maintained the com, like, consistent throughout the whole thing. Never changed. The message of this never changed. And it came through reading the Bible from sermons from people around me, from my parents, and, there was, and it was this. It was, it was the voice of God to me and saying, I love you forever. Trust me. I love you forever. Trust me. I, as you can imagine, that was the last thing I wanted to hear from this, this God that should be taking care of my family, should be healing my sister, should be removing all these trials, or so I thought. And as I engaged with this voice and, and began to, to talk with God about all the things that were going on, one thing became clear is that oftentimes the things that you least want to hear are the things you need to hear. And I needed to hear that from God. I love you forever. 
trust me. And I started to see and started to experience, I was able to then identify how God remained faithful throughout all these trials and temptations and, and issues with, with my faith and struggles with my family. I could see how he was faithful in sustaining my family. I could see his, his fingerprints all over it, event by event by event. He kept things contained and manageable. And even though I was, I was blind by the situation in the moment, looking back, I could actually see God at work in my life and in my family's life. So then it came to these questions, or to a question of, was I defining God by my understanding of his faithfulness and goodness or by his? Was I defining God according to what I desired most, what I thought I needed? Or was I looking to scripture and saying, no, this is how God describes himself. He doesn't promise to remove these trials and and hardships. He promises to redeem them, to give purpose to them, to make good out of them. So then I started to, to really look at my faith and, and say, okay, what's missing here? What am I missing? And I realized that I was making my faith based out of how I was feeling. It was this head knowledge rather than a heart knowledge. That everything I understood was contradicted in so many ways, but when it came to a heart knowledge, it It was the hopes and promises that God made in his scripture that sustained me. So as I started to engage with God deeper and deeper into this and and, and, and talking with him about how to to grow in my faith understanding of of his direction, how he's taking care of our family, that's when God started to do the big work in me. There's actually a gospel uh, example of this that is beautiful. There's a story in Jesus' journey while here on earth that illustrates his steadfastness in God the Father's faithfulness. So when we read Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, about Christ's time of anguish and sorrow as his death drew near, Christ doesn't run from his trials. He looked at them, he saw them coming, and he engaged with them through prayer with his Father. He knew the future. He knew what was in store for him, and yet he didn't run from it. How often do we run from trials and struggles in our lives? So he took this and ran to his, towards his father in prayer. In verses 36, Jesus uh, speaks to those who uh, he brought with him and said, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. He really didn't want this to happen. He said, Remain here and watch with me. From Jesus, uh, from here Jesus goes on further and falls to his faith and prayer to his Father. He speaks of desires But he looks to the end goal, the purpose of these trials that his father has in store and says, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is full of inner turmoil over what's in store for him. He knows what's going to happen. But he also knows the end goal and the purpose of these things. And in the end, what he did actually brought salvation to us. 
He brought redemption for all the brokenness in the world. And from his brokenness, he actually makes us whole and gives the, the, the purpose of, of our trials and temptations. He redeems them. So when engaging with our trials and temptations, how can we take a posture that Christ did? From his example, we can look at our trials and say, I know this is going to hurt. I would rather not go through this, to be honest, but I know that in the end I will be better off and closer to you. So Father, your will be done and give me steadfastness in your faithfulness. Allow me to remain steadfast in your faithfulness to redeem the situation. In these moments, though, we have to be steadfast. We have to be patient. So the takeaway, I said, because God is faithful, here's the second part, be steadfast. Be steadfast. I like to actually describe being steadfast as active waiting or patience as active waiting. You're not passively waiting. You're engaging with the mess. You're going through the process of it, but you're patiently waiting for the outcome with Christ. You're, you're patiently waiting for the redemption story. But Christ, he knew what was coming. He didn't jump straight to the end goal. He had, he had to go through the process of it. So it actually reminds me of um, stories my dad shared with me in, of, of when he worked in a steel mill. And when they take the raw matter and it's, all, it's full of imperfections and impurities and all these things and they have to uh, melt it down so that all the impurities surface and come out. It takes a trying fire to break down this organic matter and bring out all the impurities to the surface so that it can be cleaned out, filtered, and made pure. But the outcome of that is that then you have a, a, a whole and uh, healthy piece of product to work with, and then it can be molded and shaped into something even stronger and more beautiful. So you look at all the steel that's put into these amazing buildings around the world. They wouldn't be able to stand if they didn't go through the refining process to have a healthy structure for itself. And it's the same way in our own lives. God's, going to, God's using trials and hardships in our lives to surface all the impurities in our lives so that we can actually deal with them. That's the thing about hardship. It identifies something for us to engage with Christ through to be redeemed from. This is his faithfulness to us as we remain steadfast in him. So as we actively wait, we are not just sitting there waiting for the end goal and saying, you do the work for me. It's not how it works. You have to engage with it because in the engagement with that, that's when the process takes place. It moves from the choice of believing and trusting. It's a choice of believing and trusting versus understanding. So as we get into the patience piece in, in verses 5 through 18, uh, James gets into the application of the choice of remaining steadfast of our trials and temptations. He says, as, as I was struggling with my faith, I was encouraged to read through the book of James. It was in my junior year that God brought me James 1. And 
almost on a yearly uh, basis that God brings me back to James 1 and says, no, no, no. You get to go deeper. I'm going to keep challenging you. And so in verses, uh, in verse 4 it says in the KJV that, so when I was a kid, when I first got uh, James 1 to, to read, the closest Bible I had was a, a King James version. And so it, it was the closest thing in arm's length reach from my bed. And so I grabbed that and I flipped it open and, and I start reading. In James 4, 1, 4, uh, let, it read, let patience have its perfect work. As you're patient, work is being done. I love how poetic that is. As I sought to be patient on the exterior motives, seeing my sister healed from all the struggles, I began to work inwardly on my faith in Christ and began to ask for wisdom that God encourages us to in verses 5 and onward. In verse 5 it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I had to be trusting, according to uh, his timing, something will happen for her and my good. So in this, it comes a choice of believing and trusting versus having an understanding. I thought I understood God. I thought I understood who he was and what he was about. But I didn't fully understand the, the relationship of it. And that there's a choice, like you have to make a choice of believing and trusting no matter the circumstances. And that, that's when the understanding takes a, a deeper meaning. It takes a heart uh, level of knowledge. When we look at how he describes uh, times of trials and testings for our faith, he doesn't ever get into providing an end time, other than when we get to the point of the lesson. As my, my family went through the time of struggle, I was the man in verse 6. I was tossed and tumbled all over the place because here I had my own expectations and understandings and desires, and here then we had God's. And I knew scripture, but I also had my own desires. And they weren't matching. I was double-minded. So as I engaged with scripture, engaged with God as he was speaking to me, that's when God brought my heart into a reflection of his own. And that's when my faith took a lot more deeper meaning than just my personal understanding I began to learn what patience actually was. What this means is that you become single-minded in Christ. My mom's uh, prayer for, for me as, as I was dealing with this, I was talking to her about um, what I was going to share this morning, and I asked her what her, kind of her, her hopes and desires were for, for me. And, and for my siblings. And she said, this is the prayer that I, I prayed every day for you guys. I said, uh, and she said that it was uh, for God to hold your hearts despite the desperate circumstances of our family. What a great prayer. But it wasn't about anything else 
other than our relationship with God. That's what it comes down to. Where is your heart and posture with God? We can have all our understanding of faith as a head knowledge, but the act of remaining steadfast in God's faithfulness is what will bring you through the tough times and root your faith as a deep heart knowledge in Christ. Verses 16 through 18, it reads, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, if a good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We have a promise from God in this, that we will be the first fruits, a healthy harvest of faithful believers, pursuing nothing else but our Father in heaven. Nothing else but our Father in heaven. That is what he uses trials and struggles and hardships to push us towards. And James continues in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, encouraging us to be patient and bearing the fruit of the trials of our faith. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So God is moving us from being a double-minded person to being solely focused, following Christ, no matter what the circumstances are. But in dealing with the issues at hand through the promises of God to redeem them, this begins with our faith becoming a heart knowledge that brings us to, the re, uh, to rejoice because God is doing a great work in us. As I was prepping for, uh, for this morning, I was scrolling through my uh, uh, home feed on Facebook and I came across a, a really cool illustration that kind of just, it, ca- it catches everything that uh, I'm trying to share with you. That so often we set out, we know the prize that we're looking for. We know the prize that we're working towards or what we so desire. And we start off strong. We have all this energy. We have youthfulness uh, and uh, just a hunger for it, a drive. But so often that after years and years and years of digging and working towards something, you get broken and beat up and bruised and discouraged that you give up. Little to find out that you're inches away from the prize. As we engage with our mess, it's not going to be easy. But as we keep chipping away and working at it, 
peace and peace come down and God's faithfulness remains steadfast that in the end you will receive the reward. God promises it. And if you're here today that, and, and, and you want that for the first time in your life, if you're looking at your life and saying, you know, I need that redemption story. Truth is, everybody sitting in here, even myself, we all have messes in our lives. But it is in God's refining fire that we're made perfect. And if you want that in your life, if you're, you're hungering for that, I would just encourage to, uh, you to pray, talk with God, and wrestle with him. And I know myself uh, and Pastor Andrew uh, and anybody else on staff here would love to engage in conversation with you on that and encourage you through this. As we look to the new year, let, the, let it just mark a new uh, posture of living your life, living your faith in such a way that people look at you and, and be like, wow, no matter what, this person rejoices in, in Christ. No matter what, he's clinging to that cross or she's clinging to that cross. Let that be our story for 2016. Let that mark the rest of our lives as we pursue Christ first. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. We will wear a crown of life in the day of glory, given from our loving God who has promised to redeem. Because God is faithful, be steadfast. Cling to your hope in Christ, our Savior. Give thanks and praise for him and his love and faithfulness to us. Let me close in prayer. God, thank you so much for these encouraging words from James. That we get to receive this promise of, of your redemption of our story, of our lives. That you make good out of all circumstances. God, if, uh, for anybody who's wrestling with this stuff, God, just give them that, 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 that hope, that hunger to keep working at these things with you, to engage with these messes in you, with you. Sustain us. Fill us with your joy. We love you. We pray that all that we say, do, and think will bring you glory and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.